there's a place where you can hear the best goddamn <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, that's not. Moving on. Welcome to Dead Married. I'm Travis. <laughs> and I'm Ashley. And this week we're covering uh, 1996's Tales from the Crypt, Bordello of Blood. Yeah, it's another entry for February's sexy month. And this is our second horny vampire movie in a row. I, yeah. Not not the only one we've covered, but definitely second one in a row. This sure. is the horniest vampire movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, I think, I, I think um, I, I'm probably going to be alone in my opinions for this movie. Possibly. I, I remember this movie very differently. <laughs> I mean, is this, is this what you would, do you think it's reached cult level status at this point? I kind of hope not. <laughs> Probably. It's it cult status with thirteen I mean, year old boys. If if uh if Scream Factory did their own, you know, release of this, I would think that that means that at some point it did reach that status. Yeah, I mean I guess. I, <laughs> that doesn't make it a good movie though. Does it? I don't know. But I'm, if you think we've reached cult level status, oh, please I didn't... please consider pledging to our Patreon as little or as much as you want. We would appreciate it. Thank you very much. And now moving on <laughs> so um what do you remember the first time you saw this film yes i think um i probably saw it on some bootlegged hbo or something like that <laughs> skinamax when i was a teenager <laughs> what well, it was it it's an H- tales from the crypts hbo right so yeah uh, but you know sometimes you, you used to if you had normal cable television they would do like a free weekend mm-hmm. preview or whatever yeah and i'm sure i saw this at like one o'clock in the morning oh so so it's a, a vivid teenager, memory for you and i was like like, hey, <laughs> what is this? Oh my gosh! Um, no, I don't. I don't feel the same way the second time around. <laughs> you mean the second time around? I'm pretty sure you've seen this a few times. I've now. been in the room when you were watching it, but I <laughs> I tuned this movie out. Oh my gosh! Um, no, I don't know. I remember thinking it was cool the first time I watched it. I right. mean, vampires and blood and gore and boobs and right and boobs and it was. <laughs> Yeah, but Isn't I think my... that all of uh, Joe Bob Briggs's favorite things, though? Yes. I mean, it's in the song. Or our mom is the same. <laughs> um, probably not. <laughs> but no, I, I would definitely say that I maybe I've just gotten a, a better palette for movies. Didn't, oh, my didn't God. Didn't feel the same way this time. You got a better palette for I do. movies? I do. All right, Gordon Ramsay. You know what? <laughs> a girl can dream. <laughs> These vampires are raw! <laughs> Aren't they always though? <laughs> uh, uh, how about you? I don't think I saw this one as a kid at at all. Like, and I think I was definitely an adult before I saw it. And I, 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 I'm out of the loop on you know who's ever been canceled or whatever throughout the years. But I know at the time of seeing it as an adult, and um, I don't know, I, I was a huge, huge fan of Dennis Miller at the time uh, because for me, he is part of what makes this movie for me. I don't know if I would enjoy it as much as I do without him, if that is, makes any sense. Because I'm not in it for the boobs gore certainly and Chris Sarandon's another big percentage of this movie for me but I don't think without Dennis Miller it would have worked as well as it did at least for me I mean if it's just if it's just tits then I'm kind of like I'll pass you know but that I think I remember watching it the first time and just thinking he was so fucking hilarious and said all the things that I was thinking you know because my second language is sarcasm so I thought that that was just the best thing ever Um, and then yes Chris Sarandon, it's it's almost jarring to know him for playing one of the sexiest vampires of all time and then seeing that jump to him playing the opposite end of the spectrum, this kind of holier-than-thou Van Helsing type of character and being not, you know, he's known for being so serious, so it's, it was really funny to see him be able to make a fool out of himself and do something much lighter and I mean, I know somebody out there saying Princess Bride, Princess Bride, but I, don't at me, I have not seen Princess Bride but maybe a couple of times in my whole life. So, for me, I don't know him as well for that. Um, So, it, it was neat to see him be able to have fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. Why, why are you looking at me like that? No, I'm just, just letting you go. <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm done going. i letting you go. Um, I know you, you said that 
Dennis Miller is your favorite in this film. You know, they originally were going to cast Daniel Baldwin. Yeah. As, in that role. And Robin Givens was supposed to be Lilith. Lilith. Yeah. I don't, I can't see either of them I just in those roles. Don't. Especially feel Daniel like... Baldwin. Maybe yeah. Robin Givens because she's another very tall, beautiful woman. But. So apparently Joel Silver was going through this phase where it was like supermodels are going to be the new, the new thing. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> No. No. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, I guess Robin Givens was notoriously hard to work with at the time. Yeah. And so they ended up getting Angie Everhart because, I guess, Sylvester Stallone was dating her at the mm-hmm. time and ran into one of them and was like, hey, you, you got to talk to this girl. And <laughs> then she got the part. Yeah. Because what Sly says do... You fucking do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is great because I, I, again, I can't imagine anybody else in that part but her. I mean, she's, it's not even fair to be that beautiful. I mean, I, I don't really know what she looks like these days, but but that point when you first see her, you're like, holy shit, that's a gorgeous woman. So I think, I think she was at the top of her game Yeah, at that point. And in terms of being a supermodel, because she was, uh, let's see, I think she'd done the cover of Sports Illustrated and I think she was like the only redhead to ever make the cover of Sports Illustrated, mm-hmm. the Swimsuit Edition, or maybe it was a different magazine. But that was like a big deal because she was the first redhead to ever make a cover of whatever it yeah. was. Um, but no, I mean, yeah. Yeah, they captured her when she was at peak power. <laughs> for sure. I just... Uh, just not peak acting power. Yeah, I was going to say I just don't agree with supermodels necessarily being actors. But there's a, there may be a reason for that. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. So I watched this documentary and they were worried about Robin Givens, but apparently Dennis Miller was just awful to work with. And a lot of times he didn't didn't want to be on set with anybody else. So their line delivery, they were reading their lines to the script supervisor because Dennis Miller didn't want to film with whoever. Yeah. So he would commit and he apparently he wrote his own script through the whole thing Mm -hmm. because he didn't want to say what they wanted him to say. Right. And that's the reason sometimes the conversations don't make sense because they were filmed at different times Mm -hmm. and he was just making up whatever the hell he wanted to. Right. So the script supervisor is trying to remember what he said and feed it to Eric Elianak or uh, Angie Everhart and then they're trying to read the line that was originally written mm-hmm. so yeah I think there were a lot of challenges with this film yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I think that contributed to some of the acting in this film to a Maybe point. to a point, but this is not the first supermodel I've seen in an actress. <coughs> Tara! Um, and <laughs> they're just not great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess we're on to cast and crew anyway. Erica Elianek. We'll get to acting. It was. Let, let's move on. Yeah. We'll get to acting. Anyway, so yeah, cast and crew. Dennis Miller plays Rafe Gutman. Mr. Gutman. Mr. Gutman. How is it? Why is it that every, they make every, uh. Sleazy televangelist in a movie, <laughs> Southern. Because most of them most are. Most of them are. Uh, Erica Elianak plays Catherine Verdu. Angie Everhart is Lilith. Chris Sarandon is Reverend Current and head of Current World Ministries. Mm-hmm. Aubrey Morris plays McCutcheon. He's the the funeral home director mm-hmm. slash mortician mm-hmm. slash necrophiliac <clears throat> slash pimp daddy. Yeah. Uh, Phil Fondacaro plays Vincent Prather. I've seen that guy in a ton of movies. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. he's still, still acting. And then that pretty well exhausts all the people that I recognize here. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's fair. <laughs> um, although there's Kiara Hunter and I didn't recognize her in the film. She plays Tamara, uh-huh. but the name sounds familiar. Oh, I'm sure it does. Reason. I'm sure. What, it does. what was she, what did she do? <laughs> I don't, no, I'm just saying if there's a if there's a chick that puts her boobies on stuff, you probably know who she is. No. Or at least twelve year old no. knows who she is. Yeah. Yeah. Thirteen year old me knew. <laughs> Um, but one, I guess an honorable mention, Eli Gabe, Gabe, Gabby. He plays Miguel. Who's Miguel? Isn't he the best? God damn. I have no idea if I'm being honest. I don't know. <laughs> kind of looks like him, just a lot older. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, there were other people in this film. <laughs> How's it they do it on Monty Python? Sir, not appearing in this film. So it was directed by Gilbert Adler and written by William Gaines, Bob Gale, and Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, which most of these guys, if not all of them, were responsible somehow for directing and writing the episodes of the TV show. So I was glad that they tried to keep that uh, continuity going with, you know, we're going to use the same cast, or not same cast, we're going to use the same crew we typically do in the show. I think that makes for a more seamless thing because if you didn't have anybody that was responsible 
possible, at least in part for the show, they might not have known what they were going for. Right. And that in Tales from the Crypt, if nothing else, if if you feel listen to our uh Patreon uh show where we cover Tales from the Crypt, you know that this is a show that was known for being campy and gory and you know harsh language, lots of tits. And I think that you had to have that carry over into if if you're going to do a proper Tales from the Crypt film. Yeah. So I just realized that I forgot some people cast wise. Okay. Um, because none of these three that I'm fixing to four are listed as top cast. Okay. Corey Feldman. Oh shit. He is not listed as top cast for this and film. And I was not even paying attention. But he plays Caleb Verdue. 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 And uh, yeah, he's Eric Elianek's brother. Yeah. Like it opens the film with him and he's still not listed as top cast. Okay. John Kassir is the voice of the Crypt Keeper. Of course. As always. Course. And William Sadler plays the mummy in the intro and outro. Woo! Uh, always a good. Always. Always a good time to see William always Sadler. I really like choice. him. And the other one is Whoopi Goldberg has a cameo in this yes. film. Yes. That's true. She basically, she wakes up and says, tells everybody to shut the fuck up. And then rolls back over and goes <laughs> and to sleep. And then goes back to sleep. Yeah. That's pretty much what I do, too. <laughs> Kids better keep it down in there. So, the story. How do you feel about the story? Uh, I think 13-year-old me wrote this story. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess it's... it's <sighs> It's a Tales from the Crypt script. Yes. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cheesy. The line, there's a lot of like one-liners in there, mm-hmm. particularly from Lilith. It's a lot of calling somebody lover. As a matter of fact, one of the videos I watched on YouTube, they turned it into a drinking game. Oh my gosh. Every time a vampire, a female vampire says lover, you take a drink. You're going to die before you get to the end of the film. And I can promise you not any of us use lover as much in real life as, as they did As much as we movie. wish you did. <laughs> um but I mean, it was written to be cheesy and campy and just fun. It was written, I think, to be a fun movie. So there's yeah. nothing you can really take seriously about it. Um, most Tales from the Crypt productions, I guess. Um, everything is just a device to get to blood and boobs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So anything that happens before, like the the lead up, the the premise doesn't have to be solid. We're just going to get to the killing and the fucking, and that's Tales from the Crypt, right. and then it's just on after that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, it's fine. It's fine for what it is. Okay. How do you feel about it? Uh, I don't think in any way it was reinventing the wheel as far as vampire films go. You have your hero, you have your antagonist, and, you know, you you have the the typical thing of vampires exist and nobody will believe him. And, you know, he has to go in and save the day. And so I don't, that's pretty much old hat as far as the series goes. What I think was a little kind of cool, though, was the fact that they did introduce the notion that with a specific device, you the vampires could be controlled. And so the idea of controlling vampires to take out sinners is actually kind of cool a little bit. That's not typically, you know, when you think of monsters being controlled, you think of zombies and their zombie master. You don't necessarily think vampires. So. Some kind of voodoo stuff. Yeah. So I thought that would that part itself was cool of an, was cool enough of a notion that they were doing something a little bit different with it. Yeah, something that just occurred to me and you almost got there, it's a female vampire lead. Yeah. And most of the time it's a male vampire lead or Dracula. It's interesting that they brought in Lilith instead of... Well, not necessarily. I think with your... Kent's going to kill me. He's going to be like, why are you speaking on something you don't know anything about? I do think from what I do know about Hammer films, I think there were a lot of female antagonists in those films. Oh, see, I haven't seen very many Hammer films. See, I haven't seen any of them. I mean, apart from knowing that Christopher Lee was our Dracula, but I do feel like whenever I have heard them being spoken about or clips shown, it's usually most of the time there's some kind of big female antagonist that uses her sexual prowess to take down these men. So. Okay. Well, I was wrong then. For me, <laughs> for me, it was it was different. Yeah. Because most of the vampire movies I've seen, it's been a male right. antagonist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I am a big fan, especially in recent years of the femme fatale um i like seeing females take down the man it's 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 a fun thing (laughs) but uh because you know for the longest time it's been 
a boys club of your like you were just talking out of your male antagonist so anytime there's a film where it's just a bunch of girls taking out guys I that's like my favorite thing in the world so um so that part of it is also pretty cool but like Travis said it's it's just your standard schlocky 90s horror film and everybody knows that in the 90s horror took a major major fall down um and it's and and, and you know not to say that there weren't great films that existed in the 90s obviously there were but for the most part it was just kind of campy stuff like this and I think that's why the 90s are not known for horror as well as the decade prior yeah what year did Scream come out it was a 90s it was also 96 also 96 yeah yeah so maybe they yeah they just phoned it in on this one because they were like well we can't compete with that this probably came out before if I had to guess and the tone of it almost makes it feel like it was filmed before and maybe shelved for a little bit I, I haven't heard anything to that effect but well they're both listed as being released in 96 yeah but that's how it feels it feels earlier 90s like as a matter of fact when you told me it was released in 96 I was a little bit surprised I thought this feels more in the kind of 92 93 era where Tales from the Crypt was at its peak yeah yeah I'm, I'm I mean I can I can see that but I don't know I don't know it says 96 they both say 96 <laughs> so there you go so we have our two characters are, well I, I I can't say that one of them is necessarily lead but we have our two characters Caleb and Catherine that are brother and sister and Catherine is a very devout Christian and I mean when I say she eats breathes sleeps lives this entire her religion that's exactly what her character is she's she's not very th- she's not very dimensional like she's very just this one note thing right is right wrong is wrong she's Carrie White's mother and um almost Caleb or uh Corey Feldman or Feldman as Aiden would call him he's this I, I guess if this is one part of the story I don't understand is Caleb is kind of your standard just I, they, I don't think they ever establish how old he is but he kind of strikes me as an older teen early 20s well they were drinking so he had to at least be 21 yeah. And Catherine makes it seem like he's going out to knock over a 7-Eleven or murder a bunch of elementary school children on a bus. And really, in reality, he's going to do what normal guys of that age would do is go to a bar, shoot some pool, play darts, uh, try to get laid. And to my knowledge, that's not necessarily a crime. That's just typical young person behavior. Um, And so that becomes kind of, I guess, the MacGuffin of the first part of our story is that these guys are on a mission to go get laid or at least two of our four (laughs) of the American Pie group that's what they're doing and once they get there they find out that not all is as it seems you know they they find out that they're going to a funeral home for this thing and they act like I think any of us would act like this doesn't seem on the up and up if you know if things look kind of weird I'm out of here and it does look really weird because you have this creepy guy answer the door well he who is it feldman that says if any member of the adams family answers this mm-hmm. door i'm out yeah and yeah you have this little creepy guy answer the door and he's wanting them to get inside a coffin he puts a gun to them and yeah at that point i would be afraid for my life but once they get down there they you know there's naked people everywhere and people making out and all of a sudden it becomes their their real life embodied dream that they're going to get to hook up with these big booby chicks and that's something that didn't make sense to me in the story is that those boys climb out of the casket and are immediately taken to the back yeah all those other dudes are just wandered around out front you don't think those guys probably bit it too well i'm ah, sure they no pen intended i'm sure they got bit <laughs> but like were they they were just playing with them like was it for show probably or something so that when new people came in and got out of the casket i, I don't know it yeah. just seems like if, if they did that to those two boys they would have immediately just taken back anyone who came in well yeah i think part of it for show, but I don't think any of those guys survived the night. Well, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not insinuating that they did. I'm just wondering why they didn't take the other uh, patrons immediately mm-hmm. to the back room to be eaten. I I don't know. I mean, shit. Later, we see one guy is being led around by a collar. He's having the best time. <laughs> yeah. 
I, neither I don't know. neither of I, these boys got that. I can't explain that to you. Okay. But you know, if if you watch the the beginning of the film, you know that uh, this one gentleman has gone on this quest to find the worst of the worst of all vampire women in history, and was successful in raising her by having to go to all four corners of the earth to find a pe- the four pieces of her heart, and when combined, will reanimate her. And funny that the the beginning the intro um is very indiana jones Mm -hmm. and robert zemeckis was involved wasn't he part of indiana jones i don't know all right well we're gonna he did he (laughs) i know he did back to the future and those things came out somewhere in the same neighborhood so we're gonna say it's all related and move on (laughs) yeah you're gonna stop interrupting me we're gonna move on (laughs) i thought we were having a two-way conversation here i'll just shut the fuck up Anyway, um, so then you you find out, obviously, that these guys are getting tempted by getting to think they're having sex when in reality they're they're dinner for these ladies. And then you move on into Catherine has her missing brother and she goes, tries to go to the police. They don't give a shit. And that's where she meets Dennis Miller's character. And he... He's not what you, what is it? Do you remember the line where he tells her and already you're starting to feel a little bit better about me because he doesn't seem very professional in his privatized skills, right? It's in an, it's in an adult, old adult film theater and but he seems to be the only one that's willing to give her a shot and willing to help her out but I guess where I immediately was like okay I'm on board with this guy no matter how kind of skeezy and unprofessional he looks was his sense of humor and the fact that if if nothing else he was willing to take her seriously and investigate it now I don't know what the motivation was immediately if he actually really cared about what was going on with her or if it legit legitimately came from a place where he was attracted to her so you never really know that part but nonetheless his sense of humor is what kind of carries us through this whole thing and the fact that even if he has the motivation of wanting to get in her pants he seems to be good at his job he's finding things that nobody else is paying attention to and he seems to be really thorough yeah do you want me to continue? Oh my God! Yes, please can I, continue. Can I contribute? Yes, you can contribute. Just a little bit, though. A little bit. Just a little bit. Okay, so eleven percent. He, he <laughs> oh, condensed. I need to. Con- I, I need to be concise. Uh, I feel like Jeff Goldblum right now. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so he just private dicks his way through all the evidence that everyone else is ignoring, finds his way to the Bordello. Angie Everhart gets super horny for him because he <laughs> tastes like Ivan the Terrible. And that's it. It's and just a fight to the end at that point. Well, sort of. at some point, um, Chris Sarandon's character, it, because uh, when he's doing his sermons, he's so, so damn over the top. And he has to make a spectacle out of every sermon. There's something very Benny Hinn about him. Do you remember that guy? No. Yeah, he was one of those TV televangelists. And I think he must have just had really awful, like, garlic breath or something because he he his thing was making people pass out on stage but he was like but he was like palm punching them in the forehead oh yeah and if they didn't fall down the first time he'd hit them again (laughs) no i've never seen that before i need to find that shit on youtube But just, yeah, very dramatic. Very dramatic. <laughs> it was just the way he was talking. I'm sending you uh, to the fiery depths, uh, <laughs> you know, and had to play guitar, which if anybody's been to a church in recent years, you know that that seems to be the shtick for everybody is like, we're going to not really give such a sermon so much as we're going to feature our church band for an hour and then maybe talk for a few minutes before we send you home. <laughs> So it's a little bit funny that that is, they were acknowledging that before <laughs> this he, would become a trend. When he was doing that, like on stage and they so they've got lasers, mm-hmm. there's like a giant devil pop-up thing at the back of the stage. And I guess they're supposed to shoot the laser and reflect it off of a mirror on his guitar Yeah, and burn the devil. <laughs> and I kept thinking, I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> See, now, if it were me sitting in that a church like that present day, when the big devil would come up, I'd probably go, ah, yay! And then as soon as they shoot the laser, aww. <laughs> yeah, I just, I never thought that anything from Dead Alive would ever be relevant. <laughs> ever. And here it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you you find out that yeah, he is the one who has commissioned this whole thing of bringing back Lilith to to take out sinners, fornicators, and all that stuff. And to me, sinners and fornicators are much like a hydra: cut off one's head and two more comes up. Like I don't think there's any effective way to take out every single person who does that. So, but nonetheless, he tries, and we have the which I thought was a neat holdover. We have the key from. Uh, Demon Knight, where in Demon Knight, the key held the blood of Christ and that would kill the demons. Whereas this one, it controls vampires. So once the key is destroyed because Lilith wants to kind of go off on her own, she's tired of being controlled. Um, Vincent, or Pastor Vincent or whatever, is like, ah, oh, I gotta stop this. This is my fault. And yeah. So it's, 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 it's a, there's an A story and a B story and they end up combining at some point to have what I consider to be the best buddy cop mashup thing in vampire films. So I, yeah, is it schlocky? Is some of the dialogue horrible? Is the story not the greatest? Sure, but I think the story's fine. I think. Well, that's what I, yeah, that's what I said. It's probably okay. It's, <laughs> if you know what it is going in, the story's fine. Yeah. If you're expecting something serious, then no. Right. This is not Bram Stoker's Dracula. Exactly. This is way, way too different tones. Maybe Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> you turn it into porn somehow. Oh, I should my write Lord. that down. Somebody ought to make a movie out of that. Uh, so. We need to move on because yeah. I'm. <laughs> it's just going to get worse. Let's move on to special effects. Um, that is one part that I will say was pretty cool with the whole thing. It is a gore extravaganza. And if you know me, you know that I am a gore whore. So yeah, th- there's so many scenes in here that it that are just worth the price of admission to watch. Um, I don't, I, I'm a horrible person and Specs guy doesn't have his stuff pulled up. So I don't know who did the effects in this film. <laughs> But they, some of them, are they all perfect? No. But some of them are are actually really, really good. And I, I will say that um, some of the vampire effects shine really well. And some of them are not very good at all. Okay, so Travis and I have looked up who did the special effects. I don't know any of these people. And we don't know any of these people. They did great, though. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Um, I don't know. I, it, de- it depends. So there are some of the effects in this film that I think are really good. Um, but I mean, to be fair, they credited Rocket the dog as a makeup artist in this film. So I have no idea. <laughs> Um, some of them are really good. I feel like Lilith's effect or whatever at the very beginning of the film when she's being reanimated is good. Her death scene at the end is good. Um, Corey Feldman's vampire makeup is pretty good. Um, but then there's other stuff like the bite marks on some of the, uh, 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 politically cr- sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it looks like they just shaped silly putty into a couple of little dots and stuck it on their neck. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, the the reanimation of Lilith is really good. I thought that was pretty great. Um, the Her heart reanimating was really good. But when you look at Corey Feldman's vampire makeup... I just said it was okay. Not terrific. It's, it's, it's very like Buffy the Vampire. He looked kind of like no, Paul Rubens. No, so not. He looked kind of like Paul Rubens in the, the Buffy movie. <laughs> So, okay, going the same jacket. Going back to special effects people, it does look like maybe they didn't have the specific heads of those apartments, but people who worked for Kevin Yeager's company and Todd Masters' companies were both working on this film. Well, it was a Tales from the Crypt production, so they may have all worked for HBO. It, it's entirely possible. And it of course, may have been like a house team. Everybody knows that Kevin Yeager did most of the effects work and created the Crypt Keeper and, and all that stuff for the show. So, and Todd Masters, I I know has done a lot of work in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So we had some good companies doing work on here. And so I think in a lot of cases it really showed. But for me, the the best part of this movie, again, is going back to the just complete obliteration of the bordello with Vincent and um, Rafe just tearing up those women. I thought that scene... So Vincent was the guy that found Lilith. Oh, shit. You're you're talking about... (laughs) Chris Sarandon. You're talking about uh, Reverend Current. Yes. Does yeah. he not have a first name? No, he's he's credited as Reverend Current. God, yeah. Vincent's the little guy. God, yeah. I'm, I'm oh, shit. Oh, politically ah. incorrect. <laughs> politically incorrect. 
<laughs> Phil Fondacaro plays Vincent Prether in <laughs> Jesus this film. Christ. <laughs> anyway, good job. Um, but yeah, I, I would say it's a mixed bag. Some of some of the stuff really works. Some of it kind of, eh, but. I, I feel think, like that's most movies. I feel like the holy water in a super soaker didn't work. Really? <laughs> it was a fun scene. Um, I thought the effects were really good there. No, no, the effects were good. Just the whole concept of I'm going to put holy water in a super soaker. Do you know how fast those things run out? And Chris Randon had like one of those little <laughs> dollar store squirt guns. You can't fight a whole brothel how full of vampire many women. many films have you watched where they had the in- infinite ammo cheat? Infinite ammo cheat code. I know. They busted out their game genie and, and killed it. But Yes. So maybe they had never any water. <sighs> <laughs> maybe yeah and i guess i mean outside of the obvious type of special effects makeup and and that sort of thing um you had visual effects that were typical of visual effects in of the, the 90s, 90s. Yeah. so won't even talk about how terrible most of those were <laughs> um, i don't really in, remember a lot do you in the uh you know like the laser well yeah beam. i mean apart there from... weren't a ton of them but the ones that were there were really bad so but all of them in the 90s were really bad because we were still just banging rocks together for that stuff back yeah then. Anyway, um, but I think, you know, we always talk about wardrobe, like your costume department as part of effects. And I I think they did a great job of making Angie Everhart still look like a supermodel in all of her scenes. Yeah, I mean, her hair touched the sky. Her and (laughs) she teased it to Jesus. And (laughs) her and Erica Elianak were the only two that stayed fully clothed through the whole film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The rest of them, the costume's really easy. It's like, here's some panties, no top. (laughs) I mean. I have this rubber band. You're going to put it around your waist. That's all you get. They did have that one like BDSM getup that looked really intricate, and I was like, "Did they go to a store to buy?" <laughs> I thought that? you were going to say or, interesting. Oh, I, I guess it was interesting, but it's like, did they go somewhere and buy that, or did somebody create that, or you know, because if they created that, like, wow, some work went into it because they, they brought it from home. It was very, very tailored to that actress's body. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I do like the line where Den- Dennis Miller tells her, "I almost wore the same thing." Would we? not have been mortified yeah <laughs> like yeah he just yeah we will we'll get to that in a minute but um i thought what they did with angie everhart really conveyed that 90s look because when they first find her and and um she rises she's wearing this very kind of like victorian get up almost like the one that sadie frost wore in dracula with the big collar and you know looks like crushed velvet and all the stuff looked very of its time whereas they kind of moved her into those 90s bodycon style dresses yeah it's kind of like an evening dress sort of look yeah like you know you're very your models wore that type of stuff or you know i'm thinking of clueless and the calvin klein dress and you know it was very of that time and i you know obviously we've brought them back with the kardashians and stuff making bodycon dresses and big booties more or less famous it, okay Angie Everhart did not have a big booty no she did not i'm just saying that you know a lot of 90s style has been brought back in recent years right. and i i it feels like one of those time capsule things of yes there was a very specific look in the 90s with the big tousled hair and the and the really tight dresses and stuff and i thought i thought if you go back if you're watching it now then yeah it, it's like you're getting a slice of that time period so i thought that was pretty cool um anyway i can't think of much more of that special effects wise i mean i'm sure somebody out there is like why aren't you talking about this why aren't you talking about oh that? the wax head <laughs> mr god god damn that guy yeah. um one of the best lines one of the best deliveries in film comes from Angie Everhart. <laughs> I love it when a man gives you head and lets you keep it. I don't understand that joke. No, because it was awful. It was <laughs> it was terrible. Because the it thing was is, almost as bad as the wax head she ripped off of that mannequin. <laughs> because the thing is, that is the second time that joke has been used in the series. Because it was out, it was also used in the TV series. Um, the Crypt Keeper said that line, and both times I thought I don't get it. Like <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm stupid or something. But yeah, it it's a joke for me that didn't necessarily land. <laughs> that scene didn't land. That was the worst prosthetic head I've seen in a long time. 
It really was. And then they went full, like, total recall, sucking his eyeballs out of his sockets while she was doing it, too. You know, that wasn't bad. And her eyeballs popping into her head. No, no, no. I'm talking about when she's pulling his head off. It looked like um, Arnold's when he, you know, the the face mask (laughs) breaks and it's, like, starting to suck his eyeballs out. And he's got that weird bug-eyed thing going on. I don't think it was bad. I think, yes, the wax heads were pretty terrible. But, you know, they're, well, okay, I'm thinking of Tammy's death, too, where uh, it looks really good at first because she stabs herself in the back with like uh, i don't know something on the wall and well she just tears the dress it stabs her in the back though right no no she's in the hospital and he like what pushes her back and she snags yes. her dress and it tears it a little bit and then the sunlight coming into okay, the window i remember impaling her but anyway no because it, she like screams because and burns co- and Whoopi goldberg tells him all to shut up yes because there's like smoke and shit coming out of the hole of her back the sun burned that hole in her back okay maybe but but it would not catch her arms on fire but it looked that part of it looked really great what i was gonna say when she first starts to burn up that looks really good and then she's like bleeding from from orifices on her face looks really great but then all of a sudden you have this wow 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 thing happening with her body that doesn't look so great and then she explodes yeah Uh, yeah, so that's not what I thought when I first saw that scene. When the sun burns a hole in her back and all this gas starts escape, escaping, mm-hmm. I thought, I knew it. They were all inflatable. <laughs> all of them. He's still a 13-year-old boy. I am. <laughs> but you mentioned um, <laughs> you mentioned the line delivery or best line delivery. So uh, I guess that could take us on into... <laughs> into the acting? The performances. <laughs> Okay. I'll let you start. Um, <laughs> all right. So I'll just start with um, Erica Elianak. She's the first one that we're kind of introduced. Well, no, we're, we're introduced to uh, uh, Victor and... Vincent? M- Vincent. Yes. <laughs> it's a little guy. <laughs> Don't say that. None of it's good. None of the line delivery is good, at least not in the opening scene. His gets a little bit better as it goes on. Like, I feel like his interactions with Chris Sarandon, uh, where he's where he's kind of acting like he's scared of him. Yeah. And subservient, I guess, to, to Sarandon's uh, I actually think his current. performance is, is fine. That's not bad at all. I'm just talking about the Indiana Jones segment. It was a little... Yeah. It wasn't great. Yeah. <clears throat> Erica Elianax, um Hers is bad. It's it's bad. It's bad. Uh, but from what I've heard on this documentary, she kind of hid in her trailer and didn't really interact with anyone else during filming. And I guess Feldman had reached out to her like, hey, we're supposed to be brother and sister. Maybe we should hang out a little bit to kind of establish something so that it feels better on screen. Mm-hmm. And she just wouldn't. Well, here's the thing. But, I'll, I'll go into this for a second. Um, you do feel for some of these actresses that were of that Baywatch era, right? You had... Pamela Anderson, who notoriously did not want her entire career to be based on her being a piece of eye candy. And then she did barbed wire. You better be nice because, yeah. (laughs) Um, And she wanted to be taken seriously as an actress, but unfortunately, with it being the boys club that it was, they they wouldn't, no matter how hard she tried. She was saying like, hey, what if I do this? Or what if my character does that? And they'd be like, oh, no, honey, why don't you just stick to what you're good at? Yeah, just just don't talk and take your top off. Yeah, that's pretty much how she was treated. So yeah. it stands to reason that she probably wasn't the only actress on that set that was treated that way. But I think during... There was a period of time there. It's only been recently where actresses didn't get treated that way. Mm-hmm. Like, that was pretty common all the way up until, what, just the last few years. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And now, you know, obviously, people like Pamela Anderson, Britney Spears, have gotten to have their voice now and say that the way they, they were treated was very wrong and people have been very supportive. And, but I think that it's, it's unfair to judge a person's performance when they weren't really given the opportunity to grow and practice their craft like other actresses who were taken seriously at the time. All I'm saying though is that they extended the opportunity for her to interact with these other actors and and in the interview that she did she said she kind of regretted doing that because it would have been an opportunity for her to learn Mm -hmm. as a young actress and she didn't take advantage of that. That's fair. That's fair. Um, But you can... Her her performance is not great. It's it's not. I'm yeah I'm not I'm not saying that at all. Hers is 
one of the worst. And the thing is, I remember watching her in uh, Beverly Hillbillies as Ellie, and she was good as Ellie. Her, yeah, her her performance was fine on there, but I don't know if that's because she had to have a strong accent, and maybe that takes away from that. But I thought she did great. I don't know what timeline those two movies fall between, but she did really great on there. So I don't know if it's maybe the tension that was on set. You know, you were talking about the things with Dennis Miller and you know them not being able to get their stuff right if that contributed a lot to her performance well like i'm saying a lot of that when you see when it's it shows just dennis miller on screen or just her or just angie everhart on screen and they're supposed to be interacting it's because he wasn't there right right and when it's just him talking to the camera he was the only one there (laughs) just making shit up and they did her dirty (laughs) with her wig because you go through it's so jarring because you go through some of the movie and it's her normal hair and then the next minute she's wearing this wig that doesn't have the same texture it doesn't have the same shade of hair color like it looks so awful and it takes you in and out of it the entire time you're like wig no wig wig no wig why didn't they just use her normal hair She's blonde anyway. Yeah, I don't know what was going on. Maybe she got it cut off or... They just used Angie Everhart's normal hair. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't... Although she's got really nice hair, though. If they'd suggested a wig, she might have hurt somebody. (laughs) Yeah, she had pretty great hair. But, um, and then, yeah, that kind of goes into Angie Everhart, who, to me, probably has the worst performance in this movie. But she was was not an actress at all. Right, Uh uh-huh. I mean, even in the interview, she was like, that was my period right there. She's very proud of it mm-hmm. <laughs> that she was like the number one supermodel anywhere or whatever yeah um but definitely not an actress but honestly they didn't give all they gave her was one-liners yeah and that was the problem like with arnold's career early on was that his accent was really heavy and he he was more bodybuilder than an actor mm-hmm. so one-liners is pretty much all they gave him right so i mean how do you really give a lot on well, a one-liner yeah i i will say that that probably contributes some is that she wasn't given the best material to work with in the first place but you still have to you gotta do something and you have to have a crew that's gonna be there you know especially Especially your your uh, script supervisor or your director that's going to go maybe not the best delivery of that line why don't we maybe, try that again maybe they were afraid to maybe maybe they, maybe they were like if you tell her it was bad Sly's going to come knock you out I really doubt it Probably but <laughs> but there's there's more people responsible than just her is is what I was trying to yeah. convey yeah but nonetheless pretty terrible <laughs> but I just think that from some of the lines and it goes back to this being a Tales from the Crypt movie maybe they just weren't taking it that seriously maybe and not and it was just like yeah it's good enough I don't necessarily think that that's fair either because in the show you had a lot of heavy hitting actors on there but they were good actors before they signed up for Tales from the Crypt some of them were but you had others that were still fairly new but were still pretty big actors you know yeah. we, we had people like like fucking um, Joe Pesci and Demi Moore and um, God I can't think of all Tom Hanks like we Steve Buscemi yeah we had some pretty big people in this show and so I'm just saying they were good actors before they did Tales from the Crypt yeah, it just seems like, you know, maybe they would have had, they would have put a little bit more love into it. But I think by the time they got around to these movies, I think that the hype was pretty much dying down and people were kind of tired of it. And maybe that's why, I mean, because I, I think Dennis Miller was probably the biggest person that they had. On they that paid set. like half of the the uh, budget for this film to get him on set. Yeah. They paid him a million dollars. And apparently that was not even a serious thing. Like they asked him to do it and he said no or who was it? Silver wanted him to do it or some shit like that? He said, I'll do it if you give me a million dollars. And like jokingly said, I'll do it if you give me a million dollars. And they were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Which at that point, how do you say no? <laughs> like, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. But again, back to that that documentary thing, uh, Feldman reached out to him and like, hey, we can work on stuff or whatever. And Miller was like, no, thanks. Yeah. And Eric Elinac did like, the same um, thing to him. I, yeah. I just talked about that. Yeah. Like I work alone. I don't, you know. And I, I, I have to admit the first time I saw that that documentary I was kind of like mm, Corey Feldman and I'm not, I'm not disputing any of the, the traumas he went through throughout his life um, he's made it very known that he was abused as a child um, by some Hollywood heavyweights um, to this day we still don't know who that was but nonetheless Corey Feldman for a while seems like that that person that was trying so very desperately to stay relevant after he couldn't necessarily I'm not every Everybody, not everybody's a Christian Bale. We're, 
or Drew Barrymore where you can go so seamlessly from child acting to adult acting. He was not one of those that necessarily made it, but he kept trying to, whether it was, you know, he had a crazy look, like he's he's going to dress like Michael Jackson for a while, or he's going to have a, a, a harem slash cult thing of women, or he's going to start a band, or, you know, he just, he tried all of these things to desperately stay in the spotlight. So I think when he came out and started making the accusations, I think that took a lot of people into the territory of, mm, is this really true or is he is he trying to extend his 15 minutes he was like more? that he's like the weird kid at school mm-hmm. that is really weird and maybe people are like oh, maybe i will but no nah, people are gonna think i'm weird if i hang out with him so yeah possibly but but yeah he desperately wants still i think to be relevant so but... hearing him say you know every, all these actors treated me badly on set i was kind of you know i had the thor face i was like mm, were they so, but then you heard Eric Elliott back that up and say, yeah, I wasn't necessarily the nicest person I could have been to him. So, and then you had other crew members saying that Dennis Miller was really hard to work with. And so you go, okay, well. Well, it just seemed like Miller made it pretty clear that he didn't want to be there. And I guess he even told Feldman, I'm not an actor. I'm a stand-up comedian and I'm not interested in, in, in acting or doing any of that stuff. I'm just going to go in there and do me. Yeah. And that's basically what he did. So, I mean, moving on, I guess, to Corey Feldman's acting it's exactly it's Corey Feldman yeah he pay he plays the same character in this one that he plays in every other movie he's in um I think that's a bit of a stretch <clears throat> he's but like, he's like Polly Shore just less funny but I I think when he was a child he was a tremendously talented actor there's a reason they put him in everything I just I think once people were through with him and they were like all right you're not the cute little precocious kid anymore we're done with you and I think therefore maybe he didn't get the training and the the love and care that other actors get when they're interested. They could be, but in it. I mean, let's be honest. Kurt Russell is one of a kind. It's it's rare for someone to go as a Mouseketeer, right? To be Kurt Russell, right? Like that. It, it's tough for child actors because mm-hmm. it's kind of like um, shit. Now I can't think of anyone um, where like <laughs> they do a couple horror movies and then they go do stuff that's completely different. Daniel Radcliffe. He didn't want to be seen as Harry Potter his whole life, so he did a series of just really weird ass indie films. Mm-hmm. Uh, to kind of distance himself from that. And I don't think Feldman ever really did that. He kind of stuck with the B-movie thing even after he was a kid. I think he pretty much took any movie that and he could And so get. now that's just where people automatically throw him. Yeah. But yeah, it's tremendously difficult for a child actor to kind of break whatever mold they get stuck in when they're a kid and continue on to be successful as a as a serious you, actor. You really got to feel for them a little bit because in a lot of cases, you have parents that are just wanting to cash in and, and get their children's money. And these kids kind of fall by the wayside, and that's why they end up with substance abuse problems and um, getting in trouble with the law because those parents didn't care originally. They wanted a paycheck, and, you know, there, there's nobody there to guide them properly. So it really is a shame that his career ended up yeah. where it did. But all that being said, to me, his performance is not bad. No, it's not film. bad. I didn't say it was bad. I just said it's Corey Feldman. As a matter of fact, it's, it's probably better than most performances Again, in this film. <laughs> I didn't say it was bad. I just said it was Corey Feldman. Yeah. He just, he he brings what he brings to a part. Mm-hmm. And I, it may make people mad that I compared him to Pauly Shore. When Corey Feldman is cast, you know what you're going to get. When yeah. Pauly Shore is cast, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. They're not, neither of those people, which Pauly Shore is not in this film, uh, <laughs> but neither of them are like... Shit, uh, Batman. Michael Keaton. No, the other one. Christian Bale. That one. <laughs> Where when he's cast in a movie, you have no idea who he's going to be when he shows up. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he could be Amer- uh, American Psycho, right? Patrick Bateman. He could be Patrick Bateman, or he could be Gore the God Butcher. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what you're going to get. Right. Eh, he's predictable. Not bad, but predictable. Yeah. Um, we started talking about Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller, he in this film, he just does whatever his stand-up is, mm-hmm. where it's just sarcastic commentary about everything around him. And it's yeah. not bad. I kind of dig that. I was always a George Carlin fan, too, and that's kind of what he did was just sarcasm about all everything, all yeah. things. Um, who else we got? Chris Sarandon. I, I went into it a little bit earlier. I think that he is a person who does not get the recognition that he deserves because at this point, everything that I have seen him in, he's a different person. Like, I feel like he is a character actor because, again, you go for something where he's Detective Norris in Child's Play, where he's very straight-laced, very serious, no humor really whatsoever, to 
to something like his character in Princess Bride or this where he it's just almost kind of slapsticky where you can't for the life of anyone take him seriously at all and then um I'm gonna show my age here um and then put him in a show like Felicity where he's a medical professor sleeping with a student and he's back to that very just kind of harsh straight-laced very reserved guy and I, I and then you know I, I can't state this enough fucking Jack Skellington his work on there was so good as this depressed monster trying desperately to find himself um and then again one of the sexiest vampires in all of in all of film he I think that he is a terrific actor and I'm really kind of sad that he doesn't get more recognition than he does okay can I go Yes. <laughs> I feel like he committed a lot more to this film than anyone else, honestly, from an acting standpoint. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like he really got into being the crooked televangelist. I agree. I mean, he was, it wasn't a great role, but he was trying to bring it. Mm-hmm. And then there's, when he's, um, when Vincent comes in and he's asking for for more money, right? The look that Sarandon gets on his face mm-hmm. when he leans in, I'm like, Jesus, dude, it's a Tales from the Crypt movie. You're not, you're getting all intense about it. <laughs> Like, that would have fit in Fright Night. Yeah. The look he had on his face, I'm like, damn, Chris, look at you. Yeah, yeah. He was he was intimidating when he, when he, he could be. That's what I'm saying. Like, he, he definitely, he hauled out his acting chops way more than anyone else in this film. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree like with he, that for sure. He brought a little bit more commitment to what he was doing, even though he had to know it wasn't a serious film. Yeah, and, and on... Than anyone else. But that's professional. Like, yeah. if they're going to bring it, even though they're like... Yeah, we're making another Ernest Goes to Camp movie, but I'm gonna bring it anyway. Yeah, that's a professional. And on that, in that same thread, Will, uh, Will, William or Bill Sadler, whichever first name you prefer, he goes by. Awesome Sadler. He does the same exact thing, and I know we've talked about him at length on this show too. But he's another one that no matter what he's in, whether he's the president of the United States or he's a demon hunter, he's going to bring it no matter what he's doing. He like, goes all in every yeah, time. He really does, and I love it. And his commitment to being funny when he is asked to be funny I feel it is terrific the accent he throws in there and of course it, it's very reminiscent of Reaper obviously from Bill and Ted he can do an Eastern European really he well he does it so good so I I love he looked like he was having a ball during the paper rock scissors segment well, he probably was like yeah so he's another one that I felt like was one of the best parts of this movie even for the second long bit that he had in it yeah but he's another one it doesn't matter what part they cast him in or how serious or not serious the role is he just commits to it no matter what he's like i'm just i'm bringing my whole ass every time exactly and i'm here for it (laughs) so uh let's move on to score. score So this is one, I got to tell you, my personal opinion, I miss the times where you were going to have a movie come out and you had to have a soundtrack to go with it. That is something that does not occur anymore. Now it's all about, I mean, and, and not that I'm complaining, I'm not complaining at all. Now it's all about the score. You know, your, your composers, they win all the awards and most of the time the soundtracks were for the younger viewers and all that, you know, oh, this movie was so great and I'm going to go pick up the album because it's got like this really kick-ass Pantera song on it or something or or in this case Anthrax or whatever um or, I miss those days though or it could be a song that was written just for that film like uh, uh Dawkins did Dream Warriors right mm-hmm. and that was never on one of their albums was it it was just on the soundtrack or was it I think they did put it on an but, album but I could be wrong but they used to do that where you'd get these big bands that would come out and write a that was the only way you could get that song right was to buy the soundtrack right and we talked about that with Annie Lennox last week with her doing that film specifically for Dracula. But nonetheless, you know, you had this era of kind of the teen show, teen movie thing where you were going to have a really kick-ass movie and you were going to have an even bigger kick-ass soundtrack to go with it. Something like uh, Freddy vs. Jason comes to mind, especially if you're a metalhead, because more often than not, your metal and your horror go together hand in hand. So you got some of the best fucking compilation albums from horror films. Like, like, I own several of those where it's like, oh, I really fucking love this song and it's only on the soundtrack. And now that I think that time has kind of passed. We don't really do that anymore. Uh, I was thinking about it the other day because the last time I remember, like the early, early days of Marvel, when they first came out, Iron Man, Hulk, they would have a song, you know, that would come out specifically or Spider-Man. They'd have songs still that specifically came out for a soundtrack. Um, and now, it, yeah, like I said, it's all about the all about the 
the score or the, you know. But this was one where they did feature um, some of those metal aspects or there was a lot of classic rock in this film too. There was uh, there was Thin Lizzy. Um, oh my God, I can't remember who sings all right now. Is that, fuck. <laughs> I can't, I can sing it, but I can't tell you who sings it. I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, um, my mom would probably hit me for that. <laughs> but uh, but no, it, it featured a pretty big classic rock soundtrack. Ballroom Blitz. And Ballroom Blitz, obviously. One of my favorite songs. It's on my phone. Um, and every time we listen to it, I tell Aiden, I'm like, when I bite into a York peppermint patty, I get the sensation that I'm going through a brothel with a water gun, t- taking out vampire sluts one girl at a time. <laughs> and he, he always laughs at me whenever I do that. You're but not supposed to say sluts anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, what, what word am I supposed to use? Trollop? I've Tart? Sex worker. <laughs> I don't um, know. <laughs> does that make them like a complimentary sex worker <laughs> since it's not? We're getting canceled. <laughs> anyway. I can joke about whatever I want. I was going to say somewhere Zena's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but you did have your kind of typical horror movie score in there too. You know, you're kind of. Bum, bum, bum. Um, yeah. You're kind of vampire-y typical stuff in there that you would expect. So Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, pretty good. Yep, what you said. I just went on a spiel. I didn't you mean did. to again. <laughs> Quote, kill, and scene. Yeah, let's wrap this puppy up. <laughs> okay. Do you want to go first? Um, I guess I can go first. Um, let's see. Quote. Uh, it's one of Dennis Miller's. It's uh, the character of Caleb and he are having a talk in the bar. And they've been kind of going at it in this game of pool. And he he finally has had enough. And he's like, you want to step outside or let's step outside or whatever. And Dennis Miller says, I'd love to, but I'm just not in the mood for a blowjob right Zeke. now. His name Zeke. Zeke, yes. Sorry, Zeke. I'm just not in the mood for a blowjob right <laughs> I now. I love that line. It's, it's so fucking good. Um, kill. I'm actually going to go with the brothel. Brothel? Did I say brothel with brothel. an F? Brothel. Uh, <laughs> the brothel massacre. I. That's what I'm going to call it because that scene to me is just so fun. Again, we brought up Ballroom Blitz. We, we brought up Dennis Miller teaming up with Chris Sarandon and their in their super soakers. Like that whole thing just worked for me. I I love that. So I'm aware that it's more than one kill, but I love that that whole thing nonetheless. Um, scene, I'm going to count wraparound. Maybe there's some rule against that, but I'm going to count it. And so my favorite scene is the rock, paper, scissors game between the mummy and the Crypt Keeper. Okay. I love it. Quit while you're ahead. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Are you? Ooh, quote. So there's there were a few. Like, I really like the one with Zeke when they're playing pool. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's pretty great. Um, and I was the, like, goodbye, fuck you. And the one, <laughs> damn it. All right, I'm out. Oh my God. Was it yours? That was mine. It was one of them. <laughs> okay. Well, if but it's yeah, one of them, you got more. He's having the phone conversation with his ex-wife. Got to go fuck you. <laughs> Just like, oh, I can relate. Anyway. <laughs> um, but no, it's um, it's the headband guy. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Shit, they, I know have, a place. they don't even have names for you. Not too far from here. Yeah. It's the it's the inflection that he puts on it. Where he I draws think. out certain yeah, things. I, best, know, I love it. God damn piece of ass. In the whole God damn world. Ask for the Cunningham. What? yeah (laughs) it's so fucking good you know funny funny sidebar here for a moment there's an episode and i don't know what season it's in called uh in the groove and i think it's miguel ferrer and he's like uh he does like a sex radio show and robert patrick has a very small role in that episode and the costume is verbatim exactly the same the hair the headband the motorcycle clothes and so i actually halfway wondered if they had intended for Robert Patrick to have that part and for whatever reason it didn't work out maybe but I thought that was really funny that it's the same exact outfit same exact bandana headband everything but yeah 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 so kill I think I'm going to go with uh, Lilith at the end okay that was pretty good I just like the effects mm-hmm. I feel like the the initial effects um, were good where she starts burning and they bring in the visual stuff it's meh you know but her transformation after they split her heart and she's turning back into something closer to the, the the monster that came out of the casket at the at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I feel like the effects were really good. They were really um, really good. It was very moist. <laughs> and I just say that because I know you hate that word. 
<laughs> but yeah, that was pretty gross. It was pretty yeah, gross. It well was, done, guys. Well done. Yeah, it was reminiscent of um, From Dust Till Dawn. You know, yeah. that, that transformation from Selma Hayek being her big, gorgeous, busty self to being that really grotesque, snake-looking like snake. monster. Yeah. 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 And scene, uh, it's hard to pick, but there's really two, and they're both Dennis Miller. Uh, one is in the pool hall, where he's just relentlessly trolling that guy. Like, that whole thing, he just gives no fucks. I'm like, if you really did that, you're going to have a pool cue hanging out of <laughs> an orifice somewhere. Like, if you really go into a place and do that. Um, but he's just relentless. And then, when he's trolling the cop at the police station the guy's eating their eating soup mm -hmm. so why don't you try to get some of that in your fucking head yeah <laughs> like um anytime well basically anytime, anytime you see dennis screen. miller and he's just ripping into somebody i love it yeah for for everything people said kind of badly about him i can't help it for me he is the best part of this movie his, well, see, his like, dialogue is terrific i like his stand-up and this film is basically just him doing his stand-up so yeah because apparently i guess he wrote all of his own lines mm -hmm. or ad-libbed all of his own lines yeah so it worked worked for me all right travis marry fuck or kill tales from the Crypt presents Bordello of Blood. Well, you know, I can't do those first two because of all the topless women in this. And you'll take it the wrong way. Uh, no, I, could, I, I might fuck with it from time to time. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not ever going to be a favorite or one that's in regular rotation or anything like that. Um, I'm probably not ever going to bounce into the living room and go, hey, let's watch Bordello of Blood. Right. Um, but if we run across it and we're like, yeah, you want to watch that? Yeah, why not? Yeah. You know, it's kind of, I wouldn't even call it a guilty pleasure. It's one that's just, it's not offensive enough for me to say, no, I don't want to watch that. Right. <laughs> I think that's that's really it. How about you? Um, it's gonna be a fuck for me also. Um, again, it's not same thing. It's not one of those ones I'm gonna put in regular rotation. And more often than not, if I'm going to put on a Tales from the Crypt movie, it's gonna be Demon Knight. That's that's the one I go to where I'm like, yes, I want to watch this. I'm going yeah. to put this on. It's yeah, one that, that I watch pretty often because of how much I love it. Um, but that being said, whenever I do watch Demon Knight, I almost always go, all right. I'm going to put on Burial of Blood next because I'm not ready to be out of that universe yet. Um, and then, obviously, if I'm re-watching the show, if I'm binge-watching the show, I always watch the movies after. Always, not including uh, Ritual. <laughs> but you always you always watch it by association. Yeah. It's never like the initial... It's never the instigator. Mm -hmm. And it's not even the final destination necessarily. Right. It's just sort of a side trip. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I've watched all this other stuff. I might as well watch that too. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Every once in a while, I do have a thing where I feel like if, if like Ballroom Blitz comes on the radio or something, then I'm like, oh, that, you know, I get in the mood for that. And so I will go home and put that on or whatever. But it's just, I remember the first time me and Aiden watched this together and before everybody clutches their pearls, I want to once again remind you that Aiden is an adult. Um, it's funny watching it with somebody because Aiden like definitely has that Dennis Miller style humor. Aiden answers sarcasm with sarcasm. Like it's it's he his, answers everything with sarcasm. Yeah, it's his first language, not his second language. It's his first language. So to when I w thought about it, I was like, I know this is a movie he's gonna love, not only for titties, but because of the sense of humor. And I was completely right. He was just laughing his ass off the entire time. And it's always fun to put on a movie like that with someone where you think they're going to love this and you put it on and it lives up to your expectations. So I feel like this is one of those fun movies. Like if no, if somebody hasn't seen it, you, and you know what their personality type is like, because obviously you can't show a film like this to a film snob necessarily. You gotta, you gotta put this on for somebody who's a genuine lover of all film, you know, for, for bad or for worse. Or someone that you, you just got to warn them first. This is what you're in for. Yeah. Maybe not give away the story, but they, they are going to need to know up front. This is not a movie to be taken seriously. Right. Because um, I'll be honest, I don't like that. Like if I go into it thinking it's going to be a, a lighthearted thing and then you get in there and it's super serious and I'm like, well, now I'm fucking depressed. I didn't want <laughs> You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Or if it goes the other way. Because um, I kind of need to have the right headspace going into the film, mm -hmm. I think. So yeah, if you're going to show it to someone else, definitely if they're not a fan of this type of thing, you want to warn them first. Right. Yeah. But for me, it, it is one of those guilty pleasure movies it's not when you're talking to somebody about film it's not you're not going to go into it going oh yeah this is like my favorite movie or whatever and i could watch it all the time but it's one of those again it's you know what it is and you put it in and, and it's just a laugh it's a popcorn movie and that's it and i guess 
that's probably my final thoughts on the film too. If you like something that's just schlocky, B-level, 90s fun, and you love Tales from the Crypt, this this is a movie for you. If not, you know, if you're more into, I've, I've got to have all my think pieces, and I'm not interested in, in watching, you know, terrible, horrible, badly acted movies that are of its time, because this film is another one that's of its time very much, then probably not. But you, I love trash. <laughs> I am part raccoon. Are you I a love trash, trash panda? I I am. So I I yeah. I love this movie. So if you if you like that, you're of the non delicate sensibilities. Then yeah, give this one a give this one a watch. All right. You Is it, am I supposed to say final thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a pleasure, but I never feel guilty after. <laughs> Uh, no. I already, I already gave my final thought, okay. more or less. All right. I'll, I'll watch it if you say, hey, let's watch it. But other than that, I'm not going to seek it out. Okay. No, but would you suggest it to somebody else? Um, Depends on the person. I'm, I'm with you on that one. You got to be careful who you suggest this to. Yeah. Yeah. Because you might really that. offend them. Like, they might unfriend you on Facebook and shit. <laughs> not that I care, but... <laughs> <laughs> Because it, well, I mean, I guess it's just you. You would have to unfriend me on Facebook and be like, I have zero friends. Yeah. No. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. So next week on Dead and Mary, we're going for our last two entries, but definitely next week's entry, we are going into confused boner territory. <laughs> So next week we will be talking about a film that combines the sex with the fucked up. And next week we will be discussing Ty West's X. Okay, I just want I'm I'm unhappy with how you scheduled these films, okay? I'm saving the best for like last. It. I don't like it that you're making me wait on that one. And it's not because I love that movie. I it's kind of like ripping off a band-aid. I feel like I just need to get that shit over with. <laughs> no, I'm going to make you wait. The worst part is I'm going to have to watch it another time. I don't think you're dreading it as much as and you're trying to want, let on here. I don't want to watch it again. I think you do. No, there are moments in that film that I never wanted to see in the first place. I sure as hell don't want to see them again. Well, if you're that traumatized, then why would you watch that guy on Hot Ones today? Because it was funny. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It, it was funny. <laughs> but to be fair, I watched a lot of people on Hot Ones today. <laughs> yeah, okay, but hang on. you well, asked for his specifically. <laughs> because you were in the room watching with me. I did that for you, technically. <laughs> And to, okay, so I feel like we should explain. If you don't know what Hot One is, it's not sex. It's people trying to do an interview, celebrities trying to do interviews while they eat, like, ridiculously hot, hot wings. Yeah, they probably do know. I just felt like I needed to, I mean, yeah. we, just, we just finished talking about vampire boobs for, like, an hour, so. Yeah, but. Just to be clear, yeah. there were no, there's no boobs in Hot Ones. <laughs> it's just wings. <laughs> wings, no breasts. <laughs> anyway next week we'll be talking about x so hope that you'll be there and until then thank you for listening to dead and married i'm ashley i'm travis take care guys bye Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. A very special thank you to our patrons, William and Zena Rush of Original Cinematic, Gary Horton, Carissa, Kate Lamp, Karima Rhodes, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, and Renee Hunter-Vasquez, John Paul Vasquez, and Travis Hunter of Podmortem. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash deadandmarried to find out how. Another special thank you to Alana Miller for composing Dead and Married's theme. You can find Alana's channel, Alana Lama, on YouTube. Check us out on X and Instagram as SpookyMom83 and TravisL80 respectively, as well as our official pages. Please consider rating and reviewing and thank you again for your support.